morning. Everything here is different. <laughs> it's different for you, and it's also different for me. This is my first time of seeing it. So it's good to see you. Um, let's pray. <coughs> Lord, we thank you for the privilege to be here this morning. We pray that your word will impact our life for good. And we pray that your son will be lifted up as we share the message. We pray that Jesus Christ will be the focus of our message. The speaker is not important, but your son is. And so we pray that we will see him as we look into your word. We pray that sinners will come to know Jesus as their savior. And believers will grow to be more like him. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, everything is different. Even this platform is different. It's new. I'm just seeing it for the first time, just like you. <laughs> I heard about it, but I hadn't seen it. Uh, behind us there, I think it says, everyone needs compassion. That will be you. That will be me. I didn't ask them to pick this song, and I didn't ask them to sing it as the last song. But they did. There must be a reason, because everyone needs compassion. And everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of the Savior, and then say, love that never fails, and let mercy fall on me. So I'm speaking this morning on a, a topic I call the challenge of God's mercy. And uh, the subtitle is Imitating the Savior, the challenge of God's mercy. So <coughs> uh, about a week ago, there was a wedding here, about a week. And I, I shared some thoughts. During that wedding, the gospel went out which is emphasis on God's mercy. And then I shared a few thoughts with the couple. Does anybody remember? If you were here, if you were not here, you can't, obviously can't remember. KFT. KFT, that's right. KFT. I try to make it simple because KFT, just like KFC, just take the C out, no chicken. Just <laughs> instead of chicken, you put tenderness, tenderness. That's all you need. Kindness, forgiveness, tenderness. Ephesians 4 verse 32 says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. And I see that verse as telling, I, I want to sum it up in one word today, and the word is mercy. Mercy. All right, so people are used to uh, maybe getting used to me putting PowerPoints there. Uh, that's not me. That's just uh, I try to just uh, do it sometimes. <coughs> but I don't have PowerPoints today. And I expect that you have this. If you don't, we have some there. So the Bible. So I don't have PowerPoints today because we are going to read the Bible 
and we are going to see a few things. My fear or concern is that many of us know the Bible, but we know it as knowledge, and then we leave it there. It was meant to change us, to affect our lives. And so, like I said, the challenge of God's mercy is the title, Imitating the Lord. I'm sharing today from Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. I am going to be speaking using a familiar passage, but I will lay the groundwork for the familiar passage. Hopefully we will gain something. Um, the Lord Jesus had many disciples, so I will move up and down, so I just apologize up front if you don't like people moving up and down, it will happen. I don't mean to offend, it just, that's what our preachers just sometimes move up and down, so it happens. And uh, I will stand here sometimes, it happens as well. And if you don't like it, just uh, bear with me, so I'll do both as we go along. Okay. <coughs> So the Lord Jesus had many disciples. He sent them out. And I want you to read with me Luke chapter 10, verse 1. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. And I like to read verse 1. Now, after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them out in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. And he was saying to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go before I send you as a lamb in the midst of the wolves. Let's stop there for a minute. He sent them out to preach, to heal, to proclaim the gospel. That's what he sent them out to do. And you can read the rest of it. So they went out, preached, and proclaimed the gospel, spoke about the Lord Jesus Christ, and that was what they were doing. I want you to keep staying there, but go to verse 17. The 70 that were sent out, I have to believe that they were disciples or people that believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. I have to believe that they were not just onlookers, but they were believers. He said, the 70s returned with joy. So they went out to preach and proclaim the gospel, give the good news, and then they returned with joy. What was the thing that made them joyous? Saying, this is what made them glad and joyous. They said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. I hope you catch that. So they went out to preach, proclaim the gospel. They met people that had demons, so that kind of thing. And then they spoke to them. I don't know how they, what they said or what they said. They probably said, in the name of Jesus, come out. Or in the name of Jesus, stop speaking. Whatever they said. And they noticed that there was a difference. And they say, ah, I didn't know I could do this in the name of Jesus, so this can happen. So when they came back to the Lord Jesus Christ, they were excited. They said, yes, 
we went and preached, and even the demons were subject to us in your name. Notice what Jesus said. And he said to them, that's Jesus, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. And then he keeps, he goes on. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing will injure you. So while they were preaching and the demons were subject to them, the Lord was watching. He noticed that Satan was falling like lightning. So the name of Jesus is powerful. We were told that last Sunday, if you remember. It's a powerful name. Demons bow. Diseases bow. Sickness and all kinds of things bow because the name is exalted. But notice what Jesus said after saying, I give you power, authority to trade on serpents and scorpions and over all the powers of the enemy. Look at verse 20. It looks like a damper. It says, nevertheless, I know you are excited that the demons are subject to you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. Was he saying that they should be sad because the demons are subject to them? No. What he was saying, that their greatest source of joy should be this. He said, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirit are subject to you. But, this is where joy should come. But rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. If you are a believer, you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I have good news for you. Your name is recorded in heaven. Regardless of how you feel, regardless of what you think, regardless of what others say, you have your name written and recorded in heaven. It can't be deleted. It can't be taken out. And the Lord Jesus says this, that should be a source of joy. So that means when you step out of this place this morning and things don't seem to go well and you are sad, remember this, my name is recorded in heaven. I'm a child of God, I am known, I have a place in heaven, and he knows me. So Jesus said, rejoice in this, that your name is recorded in heaven. And he did something else, apart from saying that. He said, at that time, very time, Jesus himself rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and said this, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. So he rejoiced that God has revealed this to those who are counted as nobodies in the world. I believe it's wonderful to know that we are God's children, regardless of what anybody thinks of us. That's why I say if you are a child of God, you've come to that point where you realize that you are a sinner, 
and that you can't save yourself, you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, confess your sin, and accepted him as your Lord and Savior, you have reason to rejoice and rejoice greatly. And if you haven't come to that point, today's your day. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So you can come to that point today. And then he turned to the disciples in verse 20 and says privately, blessed are the eyes which see the things you see and so forth and so on. We are staying in John chapter uh, Luke chapter 10. As I was thinking about my message, I had so many things to say, but I wanted to make sure that I keep it narrow and keep it focused. And that's what I'm going to attempt to do. Notice verse 25. And a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? We've just spoken about people whose names are written in heaven because they believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. So a lawyer now comes, or the scribe as it's referred to, puts him to test saying, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. So, two things. And I want you to notice what Jesus said. He said, well, you want to know what it is to have eternal life? It wasn't endorsing law as a means of salvation. But it was telling the lawyer, well, this is what it says. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Now I want you to notice in that uh, setting, there are actually two things that are essential to life. Loving God and loving people. A relationship with God that is all-consuming and a love for people that becomes the passion of our life. Two things. And I wanted God and people. And what did Jesus say when, this lawyer, when the lawyer says this? He says, and he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Was he saying that he could do that? It's not possible to love the Lord your God with all your heart without surrendering to the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, go, go ahead and do this, and you will live. But the lawyer didn't stop there. Well, I've been doing this all of my life. So, but wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? That's the, I'm getting to the 
to the inside of my message, which is what I want to share. And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also. When he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him. And when he saw him, he felt compassion. Let's just pause there. Everyone needs compassion. That's what we sound the kindness of the Savior, even the kindness of people around them. Everyone needs it. So when he saw him, he felt compassion and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hand? And he said, notice what he said. The one who showed what? Mercy. The one who showed mercy towards him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do the same. So, a few observations as per this story. A lawyer asked Jesus a question, and Jesus answered his question with a story. He wished to justify himself, so he asked a question. Now, we do not know if this is a parable or a true story. Jesus did not say that the story was a parable. So it's possible that it actually happened. It's something that happened in their time. But regardless, we can learn the lesson. So it's very possible that this is not just a parable, that this incident happened. And um, the story involves four sets of people, the thieves or the bandits, the man who was robbed and beaten, actually five, the man who was robbed and beaten, he has to be a Jew and not a Samaritan because of that verse, but a Samaritan. He has to be, have been one of the kind of the priest and the Levites. Then the priest who was a Jew and the Levite who was also a Jew. The man that was robbed and beaten was on his, the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he was beaten and robbed and left half 
dead. Now, everyone needs compassion because often we are beaten and left half dead. Sometimes by circumstances, sometimes by other people, sometimes by experience. And so everyone of us experience pain in some form. In fact, it's a universal language. There are no exclusions. And that's why everyone needs compassion and mercy. We see here that the priests and the Levites saw the man that was beaten and left half dead. They looked at him and then they moved on. And it's possible that we can probably come up with a very good excuse as to why they did that. For example, we might say the priest had been serving in the temple all week and was anxious to get home, didn't want to be distracted on his way home. Or perhaps the bandits or the thieves were there just hanging around and using this man as a bait so that they have a chance to you know, pounce on anybody that comes there. Or we could say probably it wasn't their fault or you know, the man was attacked. And the road was busy, so somebody else was bound to come along and help the man. So no big deal. So the priest left it to the Levite, and then the Levite did what the priest did, which is what? Nothing. Such is the power of a bad example of a religious leader. Now, by using the Samaritan as the hero, Jesus disarmed the Jews, for the Jews and the Samaritans were enemies. Of course, you know, in John chapter 4, verse 9, it says, the enemies, they had no dealings with one another. So it was not a Jew helping a Samaritan, but a Samaritan helping a Jew who had been ignored by his fellow Jews. And friends, the Samaritan did something that was different. He saw this man beaten, left half dead. Read with me what he did. But, verse 33 says, but a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. He felt compassion, we read. Came to him, bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and he put him on his beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denaries and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him, and whatever more you spend when I return, I will repay you. So the Samaritan loved those that hated him. He risked his life, spent his own money, and was probably never publicly rewarded for what he did. But he did it. You see, what the Samaritan did help us to better understand what it means to show mercy. Mercy. 
and it illustrates the ministry of Jesus Christ. The Samaritan identified with the need of a stranger. He had compassion on him, we read. There was no logical reason why he should rearrange his plans to help an enemy in need. We can't explain it. In fact, there was no logical reason why he should spend his money just to help an enemy in need. But mercy doesn't need logic. It doesn't need explanations. And we are very good at offering explanations. We are very good at offering the logics. Being an expert in the law, the scribe certainly knew that Jesus required his people to show mercy. Even to strangers and enemies. We can find that in Exodus, in Leviticus, in Micah. It's all written in the scriptures. So Jesus turned the table on the lawyer and the big question, he, did, he said, when the lawyer said, who is my neighbor? Jesus asked, which of the three men was neighbor to the stranger? So the big question is, to whom can I be a neighbor to? That's the challenge that we face as believers. It has nothing to do with geography, whether it's in Dartmouth. It has nothing to do with citizenship or race. Wherever people need us, there we can be neighbors and like Jesus and like the Samaritan show mercy. You see, the lawyer wanted to discuss neighbors in a general way. Very nice to just talk about it. But Jesus forced him to consider a specific man in need. A specific man in need. It is easy to talk about abstract ideals and yet fail to help solve concrete problems. We can discuss things like poverty and just have nice sounding discussion and stuff like that and people suffering, people need help and yet never personally get involved in helping. The lawyer wanted to make the issue somewhat complex and philosophical, but Jesus made it very simple and practical. He moved from duty to love, from debating to doing. Jesus was not condemning, discussing, or debating, but he was essentially saying, if that's where we stop, it's not good enough. We need to move into action. It was saying or warning us not to use those things as excuses for doing nothing. A story. This is a true story. I have many true stories in front of me today, so I have to pick and choose, you know, which one. But this is one I can start with. It involves D.L. Moody the great preacher of yesteryear. He asked a singer to meet him on the corner of a street. So he was going to have um, a discussion on how to reach the world. So he asked a singer to meet him at 6 o'clock one evening at a certain street corner. So when the singer arrived, Mr. Moody put him on a box somewhat and asked him to sing. 
And it was not long before a crowd gathered. Moody spoke briefly, inviting the crowd to follow him to the nearby Oprah house. Before long, the auditorium was filled and the evangelists preached the gospel to the spiritually hungry people. When the delegates to the convention started to arrive, Moody stopped preaching and said, now we must close as the brethren of the convention wish to come and discuss the question, how to reach the masses. I'm sure you get the idea. He preached, but the delegates are there to have the convention and discuss. Friends, we need to act when the Lord prompts us to. I'm sure as we speak about this message, you probably think, ah, it must have cost the high priest and the Levite. They probably thought about the cost of caring. Too costly. They couldn't take the risk. Too risky. But I want to tell you that the priest and the, high pr and the Levite lost far more by their neglect than the Samaritan lost by his concern. For one thing, I believe when we stretch ourselves and minister to people, we become better people. When we reach out to people to help them in need, as the Lord prompts us, it makes us better people. Not only that, we become good influence in a bad world. So they lost that opportunity. You know, the Samaritans' one deed of mercy is always spoken of. I'm sure you've heard of the Samaritan pauses. It's almost that time of the year when it's time to reach out to those who are in need. And sometimes it's easy to say, well, what can my little thing do? The Lord can use your little thing influence life. So never say that such ministry is wasted. God sees to it that no act of loving service, whether we rationalize it or not, is ever lost. He rewards it. And so everyone needs compassion. My challenge to us is that we need to show mercy and love and kindness to one another. We need to find ways to reach out to the brethren. Find ways to minister to people and don't wait. As I came up this pulpit, I had here in my hands the list of names of people. And I can see somebody say, oh, it's the duty of the elder, it's the duty of the deacon, it's the duty of that. Sometimes the Lord prompts you to call somebody. Sometimes he prompts you to visit somebody. Why wait? You need to act. That's the challenge. To reach out to those that the Lord has brought in your path. And be a minister of the gospel. You see, to the thieves, the traveling Jew was a victim to exploit. So they attacked him. To the priest and the Levite, he was a nuisance to avoid. So they ignored him. But to the Samaritan, he was a neighbor to love and help. 
So he took care of him and showed him mercy. What Jesus said to the lawyer, he says to us, go and keep on doing this. Friends, the Lord wants us to be neighbors to the people that he has put in our path. And sometimes, often they are believers. So we need to find ways to reach out to them and minister to them. And there is no act of love that is done in the name of the Lord that is ever lost. That's why you cannot be an island Christian. I just sit in my own world and do my own thing. I am just me and the Lord. We need that relationship, but we need the neighbors. See, that other relationship has to hold. And so the Lord wants us to minister to people and reach out to them and show mercy and kindness. The challenge that I'm giving you, I'm giving to myself. So don't feel, oh, he came here just to challenge us. He feels he's done it. No. In fact, this message was a lot more broad, but it got narrowed, it got narrowed, it got narrowed, and just focus. And then the Lord was convicting me that everyone needs compassion. Find ways to minister to people that he has put in our sphere of influence. Now, a few stories and then we will close shop. Now this story is true. A Greek class was given, given an assignment on the study of the story of the Good Samaritan. So these young theologians or students they were to do an in-depth analysis of the biblical text, observing and commenting on all the major themes and synthetic, synthetic factors and all of that, just to make sure that you know, they write their own translation after they've observed it, write their translation you know, as part of the assignment. Well, as is true in most language classes, a couple of three of the students cared more about the practical implication of the assignment than its intellectual stimulation. So the morning the work was to be turned in, these three teamed up and carried out a plan to prove their point. One volunteered to play the part of the alleged victim, so they tore his clothes and trousers, rubbed mud, cut, cut soap and other realistic looking ingredients across his wounds, they marked up his eyes and faces so he could hardly resemble himself and then placed him along the path that led to the dormitory to the Greek class. While the other two hid and watch, he groaned and then he was, <coughs> all of that. The students that did the assignment, no one stopped. They walked around him, they stepped over him, and said different things to him, but nobody stopped over to help. What do you want to bet the academic work was? It was flawless. They probably scored high marks in the class. It was all well marked. And, um, but no one stopped to remember the Good Samaritan. You see, this incident reminds us of a scripture that says this, this is how we know we love what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our life for our brethren. 
And then it goes on to add something like this. If anyone has material possession and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Our convictions and belief in the Lord Jesus Christ must affect the way we act. And the man of God shares an experience that he had. He said, several years ago, he was a student in college. This is Chuck Swindoll. And when he went to college, they had nothing, absolutely nothing. Where they were living, the way he describes it, he says, the cockroaches already had met and they were reproducing in mass, where they were living. And he was struggling to make ends meet. Trying to go to school, trying to work, trying to make money and all of that. And he said, it's hard to believe somebody in our church paid for my tuition for all my years of Bible college and nobody knew about it. In fact, he said, I don't even mention his name because he will be ashamed. He did it quietly and privately as the Lord laid it on his heart. Friends, it's time to be the good Samaritan. And we can be neighbors to the people that the Lord has put in our path. It's a challenge for me it's a challenge for you. He says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. I've only dealt with the two aspects of this, that verse, that is the kindness and the tender-heartedness. There is one that is missing, the forgiveness aspect. And Jesus speaks on it. He speaks on it in a big way. I'm hoping to share it, but it might not happen. You know why? Because some messages sometimes are meant for you. So I think it's meant for all of us, but we'll see. Are you a neighbor? Are you a Christian? One last story that illustrates my point. There are many. I have about three or four there, but I, I will pick one. This is a true story. A young man uh, boarded a bus and was going from one location to the other in the U.S. As it was, it was uh, he came from the country and had gone somewhere and entered one of these, is it Greyhound? Is that what they call them, buses? And he was uh, going, and then he fell asleep, a long journey, and then the bus passed where he was supposed to stop and then kept going. And it had turned dark, and then the bus driver kept going. So he went to the driver when he realized, he said, have we reached that place yet? The driver said, we passed it about 20 minutes ago. And then he was, uh, he was distraught. So he went back to him, he said, maybe you can stop here. I need to come out. The bus driver said, this is in the middle of nowhere. We can't do that. So he was distraught, pacing up and down, going, trying to sit down. Then um, a fellow uh, uh, 
neighbor, a fellow passenger, asked him what happened. He said, well, my sister was supposed to be waiting for me at that location. And I'm a country boy. Well, the next location they're going is a big city. I don't know anybody. And I don't know what I'm going to do. And I've used up all the money that I had. And she's waiting. So the man scrambled, you know, you know, uh, tried to calm him down, then went to the bus driver and then said, maybe when we get to the next station, you can rearrange for the other grand hall. I think they're going, you know, you know, to pick him, you know, to drop him. This was before the age of uh, Wi-Fi and all of that, where you can talk, I missed my flight and stuff like that. So we can rearrange this. And then he's, he tried to convince the driver, please, when we get, you know, just make sure that he doesn't have to pay any more money and stuff like that. And then the man went to sit down and then told the guy, you know, this is what I've arranged. So the guy went and sat down. You know, he was uh, a little bit, he was a little bit calm. And then afterwards, he stood up and went to the man and then put his hand on his shoulder and asked him, are you a Christian? Because that's how Christians are supposed to behave. We are supposed to be concerned for people. The Lord Jesus was concerned for people. And we, like his children, should imitate him. May the Lord grant us the grace that the people he put in our path, by the way we conduct ourselves, will be convinced that we are Christians. Shall we pray? Lord, we thank you for your word. It's meant to change us. It's meant to transform us. It's meant to affect our life. We pray that, Lord, you will grant us the grace to live out your word. We know that it's there for a purpose. Help us to be kind, to be compassionate, to show mercy to one another. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.